Ends well boxing. There's so much uncertainty. And so much doubt. The Olympics has finally come around. Over a short series of episodes, I'm going to document, profile, highlight each boxer and their journey to the Tokyo Games. As we follow the magnificent Boxing 7 over the next 19 days, we'll also bring you some information, some fun, some trivia and no shortage of stories. And hopefully shine a light on a side of these fighters that you just might not have seen. I'm a great effort. Hard luck. Talk us through it. Um, well, yeah, it's, it's tough. Like it's tough. He's obviously, I knew he was good, but I have to believe I'll beat anyone. So I did. I thought I knew it was going to be a tough task, but I thought it was going to. I did think I was going to win. Um, he was very, very sharp. Very, very good counter boxer. Spoiled a bit, but you know what? You had to do to win the fight. Gotten though. Absolutely gotten. And you probably went to more effort than virtually the whole Irish Olympic team. Can you talk briefly about the efforts you went to to get here? Yeah, no, I did. I put a huge effort to get here, but... Um, without, without my family, I wouldn't be here. It's going. It's going. So many feelings. So many emotions. Um... What you're seeing and hearing and there was, of course, Emmett Brennan's interview immediately after his um, his loss to the number one seed and the Uzbek favourite. What makes the Olympics an amateur sport so special and so unique is that at the core of it, right at the very heart of it, is that belief, that undying belief, that that search, that constant reinvent and reinvent and go to the well every day. For, for, for little or nothing in terms of reward other than personal reward, personal drive, personal gain, personal motivation. And it's what makes these athletes and these people so special, so likable, so lovable. Somebody, people that you can be, that you can relate to, that, that aren't above anybody else or anything else, that don't put themselves in a bracket that aren't untouchable, that aren't inaccessible. They will speak to you, me, and everybody else every day and twice on a Sunday, and that is what you've got to love about them. And when I heard Fanboy Des posing those questions immediately after the fight, I was, uh, you don't want to hear some of the stuff. But then, having 24 hours or so later cool down, it's what it's doing now is, with everything that's gone on, with the lengths that these athletes and these fighters have gone to get to where they are. And make no mistake about it, just I'm highlighting the boxers. I don't doubt for a moment that other sports and other disciplines have put in just as much. Every athlete has a story. Every person has a story. But I'm not too interested in them. I'm interested in... I'm interested in the boxers, and I'm in, in this scenario, I, I, my heart literally fell on the floor for, for Emmett Brennan. Um, but with every downside, I guess there's a plus, and now the nation gets to see and has witnessed how, make no mistake about it, this guy is as tough as anybody you'll meet, anywhere you'll meet, anytime. He, he's, but what you saw right there afterwards was the realisation as the questions came and as he thought about it and as the adrenaline wore off a little bit, 
it's dawning on him what's happened and what hasn't happened and yeah it was tough it was very 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 tough it was very sad and it was very motivating and it was very everything and even again just looking at it and listening to it it gets uh it doesn't get easier but what you got to look at now is in light of brendy going out in light of michaela going out also and the nature of me doing these podcasts and the way i'm doing them is I'm a little bit behind the curve at the beginning. And that that's the way I kind of anticipated it to be. And looking at how the draw and everything else panned out, I wasn't 100% sure. But for this to be, I suppose, up to speed, for it to be relevant, for it to be fresh, it's, it's, it's just going to be, there was the, there was the risk that things weren't going to go exactly as we wanted at the beginning. So as much as it pains me to do that, it, and it does pain me because as I said, I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of watching these guys and girls. Uh, very close for the last few years and it, it's, it's not nice it's, it's, it's just not nice so today in terms of everything else and it, it's been a tough day it's a tough day for me it's been a tough day so I can't even begin to imagine for them but I guess it's the tough days to make it real so um, f- from my point of view it just makes them even more admirable it makes them even more it gives them more respect it makes it all the more uh, special and fascinating because we here on Civvy Street, I say this all the time, have no idea. None. None whatsoever. Complain about your pain in your toe. Complain about the pain in your arse. Complain about the weather. Complain about everything else. These people do not complain about it. They get up, they get on and they get out. And uh, just for from my point of view, Emmett Brennan has been accessible and has been available and has been um, nothing but honest and 100% transparent from day one and uh, and. I, I'm lucky. I'm blessed. I'm always blessed. I, and there's just not a day goes by I don't realise that. And uh, I have no doubt that this is a... He's a, an intelligent, charismatic character who has a style that will very much suit the professional ranks if that's something he chooses to do. And I'm sure there's more than a few promoters right out there right now thinking, mm, how do I get in touch with this dude? Where do I go about it? So, Emmett, from me to you, mate, keep that head up. You've done nothing but uh, bring some pride to this country, which has needed a lift. And in more ways than one, and it mightn't seem it right now, but in more ways than one, you, what you've done, how you've done it, even the outcome, your interviews, the way you've held yourself, carried yourself, and always carried yourself. Uh, I think you're giving us a lift in in a way that we mightn't have wanted right now, and you definitely didn't want right now. But I think we look back on this in a few years' time, and again, the bigger picture. I think your career, I think everything else will 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 only grow and prosper for this. But from me to you, thank you, mate, and thank you to Jimmy, and thank you for the people around you who have made you the special character and the special athlete that you are. It didn't get any better in terms of results. Um... Certainly didn't get any better. We had Brendan Irvine, who you're going to hear his profile in a few moments. Um, didn't go for him either. Or Michaela Walsh, who you're going to hear also on this one. And you're going to hear her brother Aidan, of course, who is in the small hours of the morning. And that takes us down ahead of the curve a little bit. But the nature of these games, the nature of the whole draw and everything else, the only thing you can hope for when you get to the Olympics, and this is something that I might be seeming obvious by stating, but for new listeners or people new enough to the scene, when you qualify for the Olympics, the job, as Kenny Egan told me a long time ago, it's done. Really and truly, the pressure is off. And you'll hear a little bit from Kenny in a few minutes too. It's really off. Uh, you All your work, all your endeavour, all your blood, sweat and tears, really in the moment of qualification when your hand is raised. It's it's that, in that sense, the pressure goes. But 
with it then comes another pressure to perform, not to let people down, a pressure from within. And that's where it's probably greater than anything anybody else could ever demand of you. And that's where these elite athletes really, really feel. And that's what you're seeing in the aftermath. So you'll see a difference across the interviews after the fights in in the reaction and how they felt. And it's not that any of them are any less gutted than the rest. It's just, it's just they're taking boxes as you're listening to them. And, And the real, when you get to see them 24 hours after the fight again, you'll see a different style. And, and it's, it's, it's how they can, the best way of putting this for me is, um, how these guys and girls can file away their performances afterwards. They're taking the boxes. They're saying, did I perform? Check. Did I do this? Check. Did I do that? Check. Or what you're seeing is in some cases, I wasn't able to do this. So they can't check that box. So they can't rest easy knowing. Or accordingly, they can rest easy knowing they checked every single box. And no matter what they did, it wasn't just the opponent on that day. It was just a little bit better. And I think that's where you see the um, the different reactions. And I think that's how, how all the different reactions are indeed so different. But certainly in terms of, when you think about it, how how the best way to put it in terms to, and I know it sounds like a cliche, and, and the way it's worded probably is at times, but if you put it into context, when you walk wherever you are right now when you're listening to this, so, so say be it you walk down the village and you walk into the pub, or you walk up the town or the city that you're living in and you walk into a shopping centre or you walk into a pub or you walk into a restaurant. And if you stop just for a second and have a look ahead of you or look behind you or around you and ask yourself a question. How many Olympians are in this building? How many Olympians are in this, are even in this city? And then again, how many Olympians are in this country? Don't even think medals, think nothing else. Just think where I am standing right now in this building and if there's, say, 500 people in it or there's a 1,000 people or whatever, how many Olympians are in it? None. That just gives you an idea. It just gives an indication of how difficult and how many things have to align and how much dedication, commitment, sacrifice goes into these guys and girls. And that's not that's not me making excuses. There, there are no excuses because there's no need for excuses. It's there on, they're there on merit. They're there on giving every ounce of every single thing that they've got every time just for the chance to get there. And then it gets, and then the real work begins. So again, as I said, it's, it, it's just putting things in context, not to try and, uh, because sometimes you can be looking, it can sound hollow and shallow and cheap sometimes. And it does if it's not delivered in the right way. And I'm, I'm not here to make excuses or pick holes because there's none needed. None needed whatsoever. It's just a case of pitting yourself against the very, very best and see where you come up. And that's something that most people wouldn't even contemplate doing, never mind, never mind actually physically doing. So from that point of view, it's just incredible. And, and I'm going to segue nicely in here to a little piece on Brendan Irvine, the wee rooster he's called. He's from Belfast, of course, which is a, one of my favorite cities in the planet. A rich and proud Olympic tradition. And over the years, there was the likes of Jim McCourt, Wayne McCullough, who carried the flag in the opening ceremonies and then went on to medal. And, and the hopes were that Brandy would follow in that same footsteps. Have a listen to his build-up to the Olympics, and we'll chat a little bit more about it then. I was just after having surgery, October 2018. That, that was pretty 
it was hard to overcome and stuff that there. And I was just getting back to form, back to myself. I had a fight. My first fight after that was in New York on St. Patrick's Day uh, in 2019. And I won. Everything was back to normal. My hand was okay. Everything was spot on. And then I was selected to go to Germany to represent Ireland in a multi-nations tournament. It was beat, but was happy enough to be back in the ring in the mix. And then after that, I was selected to represent Ireland in the European Games in Minsk. And everything was flat. I was in training camp. Everything was going perfect. The second last bar of the training camp, I fell over. I was sparring a American guy. And I fell over, got up, sparred on. And everything was okay. Go to the ring, I was limping. Didn't realize I was even limping until my coach says, everything all right. I says why and he says you're limping I didn't even realise at the time obviously my adrenaline was just pumping through me this was a Saturday I was told to rest up over the weekend by videos rested up come back Monday no better sent for a scan on the Tuesday seen a food consultant on the Wednesday for a CT scan and he gave me the bad news that I was going to be ruled out of the European Games you have two sets of white bones underneath your big toe and one of them was fractured stress fracture Weight burn exercises on your feet you couldn't tolerate. So even walking was a struggle. I was walking with a limp when it was fractured. So uh, I was put in the a boot. I was in the boot for eight weeks. Took out of it for four, and then put back into it for four. So it was like ups and downs. It was getting better, then it wasn't getting better, and then frustration and you know just trying to stay positive about the whole thing was probably the hardest thing to do. Like, but you know, I'm not gonna say like there's a perfect thing to do because there's not like when you're doing like if you're a footballer you want to do is play football if you're a boxer all you want to do is fight and when you can't compete like at the highest level like when your teammates are all over especially at the European Games I missed out in European Games and the World Championships um, seeing Emmons being away competing and stuff it was probably the hardest thing for me to do but I was still training I was training back home and I was in uh, Jordanstown down now and I was in my own club with Ralph every every day I was training on a boot for this whole period of time. I was training in Jordanstown in the mornings, training in my club at night. And then throughout the week, when I wasn't in Jordanstown, I was in the swimmers, doing my swims. And throughout that course, I actually became a lifeguard. I was actually working some weekends and stuff, getting a couple of shifts in. The key thing that sort of got me throughout the whole thing was having a routine, having a structure in my day. Like, I was having a plan. So each day I would have got up, I would have knew where I was going to, where I was going to St. Mary's College in the Falls Road, because at that time, I couldn't drive. So my strength coach would have, he would have traveled to Samiri's and we would have done our session there. And uh, I would have knew what the next session was or what I was doing for the rest of the day. It was having a plan, having a routine. And even when this pandemic, it's having a good structure to your day. I'll write down three things each day for me to do, for me to try and hit like wee small targets, maybe going for a walk, maybe taking the dog a walk or even a bit of meditation. Just or doing training. Like the other day, I was sitting in the house and I was melted. And I went out on the bike and done 10 mile on the bike. And see, after, I felt unbelievable. I was training through the European Games, fractured my foot in the second last bar, and the World Championships were in September. So I asked my physios, look, you know, what's the chance of this being all right for the World Championships? And he says, look, there's a good chance that you'll be all right. You know, probably trying to keep me out keep my hopes up instead of knocking me down you know so throughout 
throughout that whole time, I was training with a boot, thinking I was going to the World Championships in September. You know, I was training as if I was doing everything that I could go to the World Championships. Now, it's mad looking back, thinking, how the hell, from June to September, and throughout that whole time, I was in a, a boot, most of it. So how, how can you even think that you're going to manage the, the peak, get spawned, get running? There's nothing really you can do. Like, it's just everyone's sort of in this, the same sit, situation. I think it was the right call to put the Olympics back to, to next year because nobody's, nobody's able to do what they can do normally on a day-to-day basis. I'm only talking about boxing, you know. Um, everyone's on the same the same path, but it's what you can do yourself in that time. Like, uh, I'm lucky enough to have a good team around me, the club and stuff. My uh, neighbour, Curzo, that got me into boxing, he was able to come up the other day and put a bag at the side of my house. And I was able to take um, equipment out of the boxing club use at the side of the house so I'm I'm lucky enough and even to have I have a carport so if it was raining I'll not be getting soaked or, or wet because of a roof over it you know so it's it's very helpful for me but it's what you can do in that time I can't describe like the feeling like representing your country and getting the chance to represent my country at the second Olympics and even you know being team captain there at that tournament you know like it's a great honour in itself, so even to be qualified and on the plane to Tokyo, it's... Something that strikes me as well, that you'll notice throughout all the different conversations and interviews and when you hear these athletes and boxers talk, no excuses, none. Rarely, if ever, will you hear them say, oh, COVID this, COVID that, none. They did what they had to do, and when you listen to the lengths that Brandy Irvine went to, suffering a, a, a foot injury the way it did and a build up to it and still got himself there in pristine condition and still went within a, a stroke of, of moving into the, the next rounds and the later rounds of the Olympics. It's, it's, it just, it's an example for us all. And I think a big part of what this team's job, maybe without them knowing, perhaps just without anybody realising, and, and it's just something that struck me, is, is, is to win the hearts and minds back of the Irish public because for so long boxing has been the safe pair of hands if you like for Irish Olympics always always seem to be punching above their weight always bring themselves to the precipice at the, at the, at the right time and um, as I said a lot of the times overachieving so much so people kind of come to expect look whatever happens at the Olympics ah, look the boxers will be there they always are they'll do it you know and on that rare occasion, and on that rare occasion in, in Rio, um, there was widespread disbelief. The class of 21, this group, are they're a bunch of fresh faces with what they lack in experience. They make up for with endeavour and in heart and in honesty. And on the big stage, they're, they're armed with that determination and a willingness to pull the very best from deep within themselves and not to look anywhere else or to look outside or to blame, just to, to deliver and to do what they can. And if they can deliver that very best performance, well then, they can they can rest easy. And whilst I and other boxing lovers wish and want for all this team to bring home medals, I can't help think back to that team of 64 and how they were equally as talented, perhaps more experienced on the face of it, and came home with that single medal won by Jim McCourt. To the naked eye, they probably wouldn't and didn't impress by comparison to other years, particularly 56. 
my point is, and that's probably to myself as well, let's not make comparisons. Let's not look back too much. Let's just support and get behind these guys and build towards a, a beautiful future. And I had this conversation with only the other day with the renowned and respected boxing journalist and sports writer from Belfast, Neil Lochran, as he told me all about that team of 64. Violent gentlemen. Before I let you go, Neil, and I appreciate your time on this uh, stif- stifling warm evening, um, how can the impact of them, and I suppose, as I mentioned to you off air there a little bit about them, um, a phenomenal man as well, Jerry Stories. How far-reaching is the t- is the impact of that team? I think it's it's one of those ones that, that like people will always refer back to Tokyo, uh, and I, I like we, we I suppose we came back. They came back with a bronze medal, and that was it. Which you know, really, you'd be looking at an Olympic medal and go, or, you know, like uh, at Olympic games. If they only came back with one medal, now you probably go, oh God, is that all? But like, it, I think it was just different times then. The amount of fights that guys had to have, like I know Sean McCafferty had. You know, beat a Cuban in the first round, beat um, a guy from I think Nigeria who had been like a Commonwealth, you know, Commonwealth champion in the second round, and then lost to an Italian who you know ended up winning the whole thing in the quarterfinals, who just missed out in the medal. You know, and it, you know, so there's there's that. I just think that those teams remain in the in the conscience of of Irish boxing somewhere. And Jim McCourt was the last medal that Ireland won. Uh, you know, in boxing until until Hugh Russell in 1980. So there was 16 years passed there, um, and however many games that is in between, um, where Ireland didn't, you know, didn't come back with anything. Um, and you know, I think that that puts probably Jim McCourt's achievement in in some sort of context. A lot of people would say that the fight that he eventually lost in in the semi final to um, to Baranikov that that he that you know, the, a lot of people would have felt that he won it. Um, so, you know, it's sort of like, who knows? But then those guys are coming back and they're going to work within like two or three days. Um, it's just a, it's just, I think, you know, it's different, just a different time. And I was, at, I mentioned there that I was at the, um, a thing for the box, for the current Tokyo team in the Balmoral Hotel in Belfast a few weeks ago. And Alex Maskey, who's like a Sinn Féin um, MLA up here, um, but he's a former boxer for the Holy Family, a brilliant boxer in his day. Uh, and he referred to, you know, he said, like, even all these years on, people are still, people still talk about um, Jim McCourt and they still talk about Paddy Fitzsimons and they still talk about um, Sean McCafferty. And I think that that was a real bolt to the Aidan Walsh's, the Michaela Walsh's, Kurt Brenton, you know, all sitting there going, Jesus, like 57 years ago and writing off people, you know, th- those guys, you just mentioned their name and people know who you're talking about. Um, and I think that that really hit home to the current cup. They tried to be so professional, like you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm only thinking about you know the next fight kind of thing, but uh, you could I, I could definitely see talking to Ian Walsh afterwards. It was a bit like, jeez, yeah, that's class. You know, the, the issue of leg, you know, it's legacy, and that's that's something that that they always say about the Olympics. Like once once you once you are an Olympian, you're never an, an ex Olympian. And I think similarly, you know, you, you, I think similarly that team, that sixty-four team. Do you think, and and that's what I'm, I suppose, what I'm trying to get to or look towards is the the inspiration that this team, although it may be inexperienced, it's it's coming on the back of a phenomenally successful period. So that team in sixty-four came off the, the would have been on the coattails of fifty-six, where where it was yeah. it was probably the most in terms of of mm. I suppose eras and everything else and where things were at where we had the likes yes. of John Caldwell, Freddie Gilroy I mean yes. uh, where, where will we Fred Teat where, where will you see the likes of that again 
the majesty of going out somewhere like Tokyo, like where, where you know, they, the lads that I met last week described it as landing on another, like it was like landing on another planet. You know, they just couldn't get their head around it. You know, and I think that you're right, you know, because it is an example for a team like this coming in, you know, all relatively young. Um, and it just probably shows that there's nothing to fear. You, mm. you know, you go into something like that and, and it, like once once you're there, actually those guys in 64, they weren't even allowed to go into Tokyo until they were out of the competition. So, you know, so like, and, and because, because times were different and money was tight, like as soon as they were out, the Irish team wanted to fly them back. You know, they didn't want them hanging about, like, you know, uh, so, like, I, th- I think they only got into Tokyo for, like, about a day, you know, one day or maybe two probably days. Enough before, to, before, uh, it was probably enough. I think it was I, enough. I, 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 I see games. It, it's the spirit of the games. There's a special feeling for a lot of people. Do you think that's getting lost? Do you think? Um, I think definitely, you know, Rio was a big hit for a lot of people. Um, uh, I don't think anybody, like, generally people wouldn't be naive um enough to think that you know there's nothing that boxing's all cushy and above board because we've seen the the Roy Jones incident. Then you see the, the Michael Conlon and Michael Conlon obviously our focus is entirely on Michael Conlon, but he certainly wasn't the only one in Rio. Um real stinkers. So I think I think Rio really did dent the confidence of not just not just the public but also boxers. So I think so much of the noise in between this cycle and and, and Rio um, has been surrounding the, the judging and stuff, and I would hope that that restores. Like, I'm, I'm, I just hope that we see a games that restores some faith in yeah. the magic of the Olympic Games because we all have those memories. Funny, I've just written a column even for tomorrow's paper about like one of my most outstanding memories of the Olympic Games wasn't even in sporting sense was was Muhammad Ali at the '96 um, opening ceremony. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll never forget sitting watching that and nobody knew that he was coming out. It's just what, what the Olympics is capable of giving you. Phenomenal to think that all those guys also then had to go back and do a day's work after every tournament or session or whatever the case may be, different, different times again. Something also struck me as I wrote and prepared for this episode. For all the fantastic talent we have in Tokyo right now and the seamlessly endless pool of talent coming behind them, the likes of Amy Broadhurst, Gronya Walsh, Carly McNall, Dean Clancy, Jude Gallagher, Mike Stunahu, the list is endless, Brandon McCarthy, Chloe Gabriel, you, you could go on and on and on and on. Um, it's just an endless, frightening talent that seems to be right there, ready to re- roll out as needed, as required. But at all at different stages of their progression, but all armed and dangerous with, with a will and, and, a, and an incessant hunger and drive to succeed. But for all of that talent, and for all of those fine, fantastic fighters. I can't help but think of the fighters that we've lost, the boxers that we've lost from the amateur vest since Rio. I'm going to roll off a list of names here and this this just beggars belief really when you think about it. Tiernan Bradley, Brett McGinty, Conor Wallace, Lewis Crocker, Aaron and Stevie McKenna, Tony Brown, Gary Cully, Paddy Donovan, Lee Reeves, Sean McComb, Pierce O'Leary, Callum Bradley, Quiva Najarko, Joe Ward, Callum Walsh, Willow Hayden, James McGivern, Tommy McCarty, Stephen Donnelly, Sean Duffy, Katie Taylor, Caitlin Phelan, Michael Levin, Mick Conlon, Dean Walsh, and let's not forget Regan Buckley, of course, finished, retired, and the sad, tragic and terrible loss of, of Kevin Sheehy, who was possibly aiming for this Olympics, if not most definitely the next one. 
I, no doubt I've left some names off this. These are just ones that came to the top of my head as I could recall as I wrote. If, if I was to Google and search social media, I bet we could double that list. <laughs> At least. My only worry, my only little slight concern, and it's just as, as we're a couple of fights in, a couple of rounds into this Olympics, is that my fear, that old Chelnock-style rolled Russian boxing that we've adapted and made use of so successfully and so well here in Ireland, my fear is now maybe, maybe it's a little antiquated and that um, that metronome style of, of, of uh, rhythmic boxing is just... I don't know, I just have a fear, and I'm no expert, nowhere near close to being uh, expert uh, opinion enough, but I tell you what, it's a topic we can explore for another episode. One of the best things, and the, one of the things we love the most about sport is um, stories and narratives, and whether it's a good story or a bad one or an indifferent one, whether it's all sports, whether it's about careers, whether it's about success, whether it's about a narrow loss, so many different stories about how they happened or how they nearly didn't happen. And and in every pub around Ireland and most definitely around the world, on any day you can walk in and you can be certain there's at least one of those could have, should have and would have been great, would have been this, would have been that. I believe the true stories, the real genuine ones should be told. I think they should be out there for everybody to take, to use, to help themselves, to inspire, and sometimes just just to lift us, just to, just to give you that little bit of a lift when you're feeling a little bit down, for you to be able to look at and think, oh, Jesus, I don't have it that bad by comparison. One of the stories that really caught the imagination of the people, not just in Ireland, but sports lovers around the world that seemed to catch on at the end, maybe where the end of lockdown was dragging a little bit, where people were feeling, is this ever going to end? And we are right now feeling the same. Was the story, of course, of the brother and sister duo of Aidan and Michaela Walsh. It's, I think it's safe to say it's very, very rare you will see a brother and sister get on so well at such a level where there's such intense pressure, where there's such an intense requirement for them to deliver and for them to do it with the love, with the affection, with the smiles and with the enjoyment that they do it at and the absolute skill and technique. technique It's, it's, it's hard to believe, it really is. The preparation for this tournament has gone phenomenal, so everything's going great and feeling really good. Camp's been going on for a, a lot of months with the change of dates and stuff. Generally, just a lot of boxing, a lot of sparring, a lot of strength and conditioning, a lot of road work, a lot of track. Um, very, very hard training. Twice a day, every day. Sunday would be my rest day, just about a bit stay, still do like an active recovery and stay busy. I'd just lie in my bed all day. But twice a day, every day, I would be my strength coach, Daniel Anderson. And then at night time, I would be up in my own boxing club, Monkstown Boxing Club, with Paul Johnson and my dad doing all my boxing sessions up there. I remember 10 years ago, my sister, she actually fought on the undercard on the, in the, in the Ulster Hall. 10 years ago, I was only 10 years of age. She actually fought a girl called Sarah Close, Ray Close's daughter. And uh, I remember the buzz since then, and I was only 10. And ever since then, I always loved it. I always said to myself, like, I love the fight here, and I love just the atmosphere, and to be up there with, with all these elite boxers. And now it's actually happened. It's a dream come true for me. And it's a strong category. 69, any time we ever go to tournaments or we either go to like different competitions, 
69's always the one that you have to fight the most. I've actually only ever fought on the same tournament once. It sort of gives you that motivation because if, if she goes out and wins, which she did most of the time anyway, it gives me that right now I have to do it or else I'll be going home and I'm going, Jesus, she's won and I've lost. But it's a bonus even in the gym and stuff. It's, it's great because she, she really trains hard and she pushes me to my best and I push her to her best. My dad, he coaches me as well. He, he boxed when he was younger. I used to play football not when I was younger and my brother's four years younger than me but we all sort of had the same group of friends. My daddy wanted to get Aiden into boxing so he brought Aiden and a few of my friends down and, and I just kept pestering him, pestering him and then he ended up having to ask the guy in the gym can I come down? He said, yes, that's no problem and I remember going down and training and one of the coaches said, look at that girl, she's trained harder than all these and I remember I loved like that feeling when he said that sort of stuck with me so the, my brother it was like, a great achievement obviously to both be on be on the same team and he's on the same team as with me now he's in Dublin he trains with us I sort of I find it uh, pushes me more like just like we were doing the sprint session this morning and so we were going like in power so I was with him like he's he's like a horse trying to keep up with him I'm like trying to push myself and he's pushing himself so I won't catch him and I feel it's good for me that we both push each other on the badge, whatever. I, and I see him slack, and I'd be like, "Come on in, like pick it up." It'd be the same vice versa. So I always remember sparring, remembering that we'd never take it easy on you. I remember me and Ari had always used to spar, and before we like we always were down in the gym early, and so we always warmed up together. But because we were down early, Ramas and he'd always say to you, "Come on, jump into the ring." I remember having an uppercut, and the next day my nose was black. I couldn't sneeze. I I used to hate sparring, but like it obviously like brought me on and. I remember just week by week, I hit him, I'd say I hit him two times that week. Next week I was hitting him four times, so it's boxing, like no matter what, like it's it's always going to be corruptions, can always be there, like and you can never, like it's five judges around the ring, and it's what they see, it's not what you see or what you feel, so yeah. it just, you just have to learn from it and, not, and grow from it and just, even from the mistakes you make, you just have to sort of learn from it and and what not to do the next time. You just have to like prepare yourself, you just, you're in control, like you Controller controllable. I always have um, a handful of green skills. I don't know why. I, I prep before I go, so I go to the shop before I go. It's like bad decisions not there, and obviously like they they help you grow as well. And like you just like focus on the main the main goal, like which has obviously been the Olympics for me. And Tokyo Tokyo is right there. Like I feel it in the palm of my hand, and it's there for me. I just have to go and grab it, and just every day is a stepping stone towards Tokyo and. Getting your sleep, all the small one, one like that makes a difference between like win the medal and not win the medal. The younger ones, the youth and juniors, Diana Murhart, she's two-time European champion. Last year, training with us, just a few of the, the junior ones that were running goaler just recently. I remember like years ago, people like, if you were fighting Russia, they'd think, oh. Now like, they're beating the Russians handy and they're only like 15, 16, so it shows you that they'd be even better than us. Like. And the man that both of them referred to a different interview's former unified bantamweight world champion, Ryan Burnett, and he remembers them very clearly. What's your memory of them? Um, I think between me and Aiden, there was a good maybe seven years or so, and with Michaela, I think it was about three or four years. But at that age, a couple of years felt massive, you know, so I was always a few steps ahead of them, I suppose, and... Yeah, I mean, I always used to do a bit of work with them and I was always training with them. And over the years, I could just see them getting better and better and better while I was sparring them. I remember starting off sparring them was quite easy. And then it turned into, okay, well, this is this is getting a bit getting a bit tougher, you know. So I've, I've seen them going from, like, real amateur to 
going up, going up and up and up. Irish boxing and Irish Olympic boxing have lots of legendary moments and figures and fights over the years. There's very few, if any, have had the impact of Jerry's story. I mean, what is it from, from your experience that makes Jerry so, so different from all the other coaches? Um, I think with Jerry, it was a, he had a very disciplined approach. I mean, if you didn't do it his way, then you get a slap in the back of the head, I suppose. <laughs> oh. And with that aura that he brought into the gym, you sort of, you had no other chance but to respect it, you know? So, and then he had his, he had all his right-hand men in there, great coaches that, given Jerry's persona and the way the coaches delivered their coaching, it sort of, it, it just, it worked. You know what I mean? There was nothing special about it. It just worked. Another point that needs to be remembered and one I'll touch on in the next episode is the absolute amazing job that this coaching staff have done. It's a huge, huge task in any Olympic cycle to prepare a group of athletes for, for their sport to, to peak, to perform at the exactly the right time, right down to the nth degree for an Olympic cycle of four years. Now you factor into that we've had a lockdown of 12 months plus and all the disruptions that went with it. It's incredible. But I spoke to another fella not too long ago, James McGivern, who was a huge, huge medal hope for this Olympics. And as the cycle pro- moved on and as things progressed, he decided the program was where he wanted to be and on he moved. So he talked to me at length about the influence, the importance and the impact that John Conlon had on him and on many, many other fighters as they went about their everyday task of training and preparing and preparing and training, rinse and repeat, every single day. I don't know John's job description when he went to his interview or whatever. I don't know what the <clears> job description was, but I can tell you now for a fact he goes way above and beyond. Easy. See, whenever I decided that I was taking a break from boxing, John was like, come on up, I'll have a chat. And there was, it was madness. I always got up expecting like a... Why are you doing a four? What what's wrong? I literally went up and just had a conversation, a cup of tea, sat in the house, and it it was not. The guy was expecting to go up and get a grill. Nothing, yeah. as you say. See that they're becoming almost like a parent figure. When you're away boxing, John's your dad. Yeah, and like there's nothing. There's no problem that I would be afraid to go to John and say, "Listen, this has happened." And I remember a perfect example. Funny enough, when we were in Samoa, the youth Commonwealth Games. We were going through New Zealand airport, and my bag got lost. So I went to the like the baggage reclaim thing. And I must have set my passport down on the counter and then downed it off of it. Got to the hotel and my John, I have no passport. And usually there's a frenzy where John was like, right, calm down. We'll just sort the situation out. Went, got the passport back. There was no big drama. Like I panicked and went, Jesus, I'm going to be stuck in New Zealand for the rest of my life. And John was like, well, go and sort it. Like he's, he's it, it, that set of things, he's brilliant. And then as a coach, I've said on team times, and I can probably be quoted saying that, that I'd say he's the best coach in the world. Whenever you're way back, he becomes your father. Like, it's kind of funny when you think about it that way, but it is true. And and the fact that he still has a full head of hair as well is is, is incredible, you know? Really well. <laughs> I've never seen a man that grooms the hair and see his beard. Like, he, if you listen to this, I'll probably tax him and give me a bit of a passion. But listen, I used to call him Johnny Bravo. He's one of my own he wouldn't go out with the hair gel on the hair. No the, coolest, the coolest cat on the block. Highly, highly regarded as one of the best and most technically gifted fighters of his generation and has gone on to start his pro career with a start, with a huge flying start and will follow that up with a little local town derby against Sean Duffy, I believe, in the upcoming Falls Park card. 
I've no doubt either that every coach in the unit up there at every level, whether it's a performance coach, whether it's a sports psychologist, whether it's physios, no matter what they do, they do it to the absolute nth degree and they go way, way, way beyond the call of their job and any job description there may have been. So I'm only recalling John because it's one that came up in conversation just recently. And without doubt, it's an area I'm going to look at and put some thoughts together on for a upcoming episode. So, as it gets later and later, it's 20 past two here. Not long to go now until Aidan makes his walk. That's about it for this episode as I go and get myself ready and upload this, watch Aidan's fight and then do it all again tomorrow. We still have Aidan, Aoife, Kurt and Kelly, of course, to box again. But to Michaela, to Emmett, to Brendy, hold those heads up. Keep those heads high. But don't forget as well, we have another Irish representative out there who's doing a tremendous job. Newbridge referee Dermot McDermott. I've reached out to him hoping to get an interview, but they're not permitted to do any of that until the games are over. Thank you for listening. Keep supporting. Stay behind the guys. Keep getting in touch with them. Remember, hashtag green for gold and maybe a new one, hashtag safe hands. Until that next episode comes along, I believe there's a little bit of inclement weather on the way, but keep smiling. Stay safe. Stay sane. And remember, all's well that ends well.